We are in a series in Proverbs. If you are here for the first time, uh, we've been going through Proverbs for a while now, uh, really kind of jumping into the nitty gritty of our lives and how God really cares about who we are and what we do on a regular basis. It's it's not just about how great we worship on Sunday, but about how we treat our neighbor during the week. It's about how we are as workers, as husbands, wives, as children. Uh, all of these different things matter to God in everything that we do. Um, and so last week, if you were here, we spoke about the, the power of words. And this week, we're going to speak about the weakness of words, uh, because if if we just kind of left you with what we talked about last week, uh, then you would think that words were the be all and end all. They are everything and they are not. And so we need to bring balance to that to realize, first and foremost, that our words do have power, right? They have life and death is in the power of the tongue we read last week. But also words cannot fix everything. Words are not God. And so what we're going to learn about today is where do words fail? If words are so powerful in some instances, where do they fail in other instances? And so what's interesting about today is that there are different schools of thought around words. And if we really stuck on words only having power, uh, then we would really be walking into some aspects of the New Age movement or the self-help movement that only focus on the power of words and making it seem like all the power that we need are in our words. If you just repeat it enough, it's going to happen. You know, uh, if you just think it hard enough, then it will appear in your lap. Uh, if if you just if you write it down and put it on your wall, then you will have more money next week. <laughs> I, I read a book as a teenager called Think and Grow Rich, and the book is exactly the name of the book, that basically, if you think about it long enough and hard enough, you will be rich. This is, it was a great read as a teenager. I had all the time in the world to think, uh, and then I realized I wasn't getting any richer. <laughs> so as we talk about the failings of words, uh, the first thing that we'll talk about today is how words are no substitute for deeds. Words are no substitute for deeds. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 23, it says this, in all toil, there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Have you ever met somebody that can talk a good game? <laughs> Y'all thinking about somebody right now. Usually the implication of somebody that can talk a good game is that they can't actually follow through on what they said. Uh, there was a movie I saw recently called Green Book. Everybody see Green Book? And so the, it was great because the Italian guy in Green Book is essentially my dad's side of the family. Uh, that my, my great uncle, my grandfather, that in the 60s, that was them. Uh, and... You know, the, the guy says, he, he tells the, um, the musician, he says, I could talk my way out of any situation. And the guy's like, okay. Uh, you know, he, he calls himself a certain word, an artist uh, with words. And then the musician said, but doesn't that bother you that essentially everybody knows you as the best liar in town? And he goes, oh, you know, I never thought of it that way. You know, something like that. <laughs> It's my Italian accent for all you, my, my Brooklyn. 
You know, if, if you are the person that can speak a good game, if you, if you are an artist with your words, if you know how to talk yourself out of any situation, essentially what that means is that you know how to talk, but you don't know how to do. And this has implications for our life, for our normal life. If, if this is how we are known to people that, yeah, we can talk a big game, we can say everything that we want to say, but when it comes down to the, the nitty gritty, when it actually comes down to getting things done that, uh, you know, I can't really rely on that person. Yeah, they said they could do it, but they're not actually going to do it. If this is who we are in our normal life, the implications for our life or how our boss views us, how our friends view us, how our coworkers view us, how our family views us, then we will realize that the people around us very quickly will come to see us as somebody who doesn't follow through, who can talk well but doesn't act, and will begin to break the bridge of trust that we begin to have. Because, right, trust always begins with a conversation. We always start off with, oh, this person said they were going to do this. And so when you begin to lose trust is when you become a person of only words and not of action. Because you can, people can tell me they're going to do things all the time. But when it comes down to actually doing it, that is when I get to see whether the trust I gave you because your words was actually granted or not. People will make mental notes about you if you are all talk. And no action about whether they can trust you, about whether you are a person who puts actions behind your words. But this also has implications for our spiritual walk, our walk with God. One of the big turning points in my life was really interesting. It was realized it was when I realized that no matter how much I told people or told myself that I hated my sin, the fact is that my actions were telling a different story. As a good Christian, I always told other people how much I hated my sin. I always told God how much I hated my sin. God, I hate doing this. I hate being angry. I hate cutting people off. Anybody with me on that one? I hate raising my voice. And I, I hate getting high. I hate being in a relationship with this person because we always go to the same place. I realized at one point I was lying to myself. I was lying to myself that I hated the things that I did because if I truly hated these things, then I wouldn't be doing them anymore. I realized at some point that I had to be honest with God and with myself that I actually did not hate my sin. I loved it. And my words were deceiving me into not seeing the fruit of my deeds. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. It is not about what you confess or what you say. But it is also about how you act out that confession in your life. See, I can tell myself all day that, well, I really hate it. I really don't like 
doing this, God, I, I hate this. And, but if I continue doing that every day, then what has happened is I've used my words in order to deceive myself so that I can continue to act out my actions. And that is where words begin to fail. See, what happens is your words cannot alter the facts of your life. As much as we try to change the facts with what we say about what happened, words cannot do that. In Proverbs chapter 26, verse 23 to 28, it says this. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. And when he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. In verse 23 and 24, we see the lengths that an evildoer will go to cover up their sinfulness. It says they will put glaze over their actions. They will cover up their lives with a nice shine. They'll dress it up and make it look pretty. It's like every Saturday morning, our tradition in the house is we go to Mike's on 3rd Avenue, pick up bacon, egg, and cheeses, and some glazed donuts. I'm telling you, those, that glaze over the donut makes that donut look so good. But every time when I'm done with that donut, I do not feel as good as that donut looked. But yet every week I get enticed by the glaze and that donut. And that's, that is our words, is that we can take something that is unhealthy, that is bad for us, that is evil. But hey, as long as I put a glaze over it, as long as I put a nice shine over it, I learn how to package it. Really well. Then maybe other people will accept it. The evildoer will disguise their heart with their words in hopes that people will not see the truth. Not only are we told not to believe the gracious words of an evildoer, but verse 26 gives this promise for this person. If you use your tongue to disguise your sin... To cover up your lies, to dress up your hate, your wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Will be exposed, it says. What happens is you are digging a pit. You are digging a pit with your lies, you are digging a pit with your deceit, and eventually you will fall into it. It's always that scene in that movie where, you, you know, the, the bad guy gives the good guy the shovel and it's like, start digging the hole. And my question is, why do you start digging the hole? You are digging your own grave right now. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, every single time, you know, they just start digging the hole. And as much as that sounds like it doesn't make sense, it's what we do. When we cover up our deceit, when we cover up our sin, when we cover up our lies with nice words like, oh, I'm, I'm you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't like this. I hate this. God, I, I love you more. What we're doing is we're actually digging our own grave. We are digging a ditch. 
And Proverbs says one day we are going to fall into that hole. When we use our words to glaze over our evilness, when we use it to disguise our hate, when we use it to make our sin look pretty, one day we will fall into the hole. No matter how good the lie, no matter how pretty the shine, no matter how enticing the glaze, in the end, it has no chance against the facts to disguise it. What will happen is they will come to light. In Proverbs chapter 24, verse 12, it says this. If you say, behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? See, this is the truth that we may think, man, I'm going to get away with this. But the truth is, even if we get away with it on earth, there is a day coming where a heart will be exposed before God. Where he knows every intention that we have. He knows everything that we've done because he has kept watch over our soul from day one. And he knows the intention of the heart. That we can say, I didn't know that. I wasn't aware of that. But what he does is he peers into the heart and he says, I know the truth. You cannot cover up with lies the deception of your heart. See, the truth is the final judge cannot be lied to. He sees all. He sees your heart. He sees your desires. That's why when people sin and they say, well, God knows my heart, I guess I'm like, that's not what I would be saying in that situation. That's why you should be worried because God knows your heart. When I sin, I try to hide my heart from God because God knows the truthfulness of the love that I have that brings me back to it over and over and over again. And the truth of the matter is I try to hide my heart from him, but I can't because the one who watches over my soul, the one who knows the number of hairs on my head knows exactly what my intentions were, knows exactly what I wanted and who I am. And there is no hiding the truth of my life from him. And this is why we first need to expose the lies that we tell ourselves. Because some of us have been so good about lying about our sin. We've been so good at covering up, of putting a glaze over it, of of taking different texts out of context and saying, well, it's okay if I do this over and over. It's okay if I live this way. It's okay if I walk in this lifestyle because it says this here and this here. That we've begun to deceive ourselves. And so much so that it's not always about the lie that we tell others, but it's about the lie that we've told ourselves. The ones that we act like we don't love our sin when we continue to do it. See, when we expose the lie that we first use to deceive ourselves and then we use to deceive others and then try to deceive God with. When we begin to expose that, only then will we be able to truly confront the sin in our life. We will only then be able to confront truly who we are. 
And then what happens after we confront our sin is then from there we can walk in true repentance. Repentance is not feeling guilty after you have messed up. John's getting revelation right now. <laughs> See, a lot, of, a lot of people confuse repentance with guilt and shame. And, and we need to stop confusing the two because we use our guilt and our shame to glaze over our sin. See, it didn't feel good after. See, conviction should lead us to repentance, but it is not repentance in and of itself. And so often we have thought conviction is repentance and we've deceived ourselves into that, that we stop feeling convicted because we keep doing it and never go to repentance. And our heart becomes callous. We begin to believe the lie that we try to deceive others with. We begin to deceive ourselves with. See, only when we confront the lies, only then can we walk in repentance. And when we begin to walk in repentance, only then will the process of forgiveness and healing begin to start in our hearts. See, at the end of days, it doesn't matter how good at talking yourself out of situations you are. That's the hard part. There's a reckoning that is coming. And if you continue to believe the lie that you do not love your sin just because you feel that guilt after it, then you'll never confront it. And if you never confront it, then you will never repent from it. And if we never repent from it, then we will never truly be healed from it. And we will continue the cycle of deception and guilt. I'm telling you, it, that is one of the harshest cycles that I've ever been in in my life. Because conviction at one point crosses over to condemnation and it stops being conviction. It stops being from God. And it becomes this self-hatred cycle of I, do, I, I, I tell myself that I hate it, yet I do it again, but I hide it from God and I hide it from others. And so because I hide it, I never get healing from it. And then I start doing it again. And then I tell myself I hate it. And that becomes self-hatred and self-doubt and self-denial. And the lies of the enemy begin to creep in. You don't really love God. God doesn't love you. God's not going to heal you from this. You're never going to get better. This is something that you have to live with for the rest of your life. And I'd never confront it. And when, because I never confront it, the cycle begins again. And I get tired one day. I get tired of dealing with it over and over. I get tired of the condemnation. I get tired of the guilt. I get tired of the shame. I get tired of saying one thing and doing another. And so what happens? I get tired of God. I get tired of my relationship with him. I get tired of it because I feel like I was promised one thing and I never got it. But yet I've given into the lie and not given into the truth. And that's why I've not seen the healing that scripture promises through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. See, in my life, I remember the day I had to come to grips with the day that I realized I loved porn more than I loved God. That was a hard day for me. Why? Because I had spent years, over a decade, Lying to myself that I loved God more than I liked my addiction. 
Do you know the struggle that is like? Because if you don't know about porn addiction or you don't know about male hormones, I'll tell you, they do not go well together. It is a daily struggle, a daily addiction. So every day growing up as a pastor's kid, growing up in a home where you know the sin that you are committing, there is no denying it. There is no walking away from it. But every day walking that out and then telling myself, Justin, I don't want to do this anymore. And then scripture pointing me, you don't want to do this anymore. Confess. No, but I can't confess. I don't love this. I, I, I'm going to stop. And then the next day, that same cycle, God, I'm, I'm sorry. But I wasn't willing to walk in true repentance, which is confession. True healing, which comes from confession. And that ravages the heart after a while. You just want to give up. Say, well... I don't want to do this Christian thing. The reason why I came to that place was because I was lying to myself about what the Christian thing was. I was telling myself that as as long as I felt bad about it, as long as I felt guilty about it, as long as I told myself and told others that I didn't love it anymore, that that's what repentance was. Or scripture doesn't say that's what repentance is. Some of us need to come to grips that we love our sin more than we love God. And we've been glazing our sin. We've been shining it up. We've been buffing it, waxing on and off every single day. And we wonder why our soul is tormented. Some of you love your boyfriend or your girlfriend more than you love God. Some of you love sex more than you love God. Some of you love the high more than you love God. Some of you love being angry more than you love God. And we have to come to grips that I can tell myself every single day that I don't love this, that I don't like this. But my actions are telling me a different story. And so when I'm tormented, when I don't feel peace, when I don't feel My relationship is going anywhere. I can't blame God. I can't blame the church. I have to blame my words and where they have failed me, where they have deceived me, where they have caused me to walk into the pit that I have dug with my deceit and my lies and my talk to cover over the things of my heart. We must break the lie. Don't cover up with your glazes. And make it look pretty for your friends at church. At one point I had to come to grips. I don't care what my friends at church think. God, if my soul is not right with you, then that is the only thing that I care about. If people look at me weird, okay, is my soul right with Jesus? If people don't see me the same, okay. But is my soul right with Jesus? See, at the end of days in eternity, it doesn't add You know, Bob's thoughts about who I am are not going to be with me on judgment day. Sally's thoughts about whether she thought my sin was too much for her precious, pure ears or not are not going to be with me on judgment day. You know, what's going to be with me on judgment day is my relationship with Jesus. And so I'm concerned more about the condition of my soul 
than I am the condition of other people's talk about me. See, the lie will want to creep up constantly. The lie that says you don't love what you're doing. The lie that says you don't need to confess it this time. You confessed it last time. The lie that says just say you don't want it and that will be good enough. Remember, confront it again. Remember that words fail. Remember that the facts cannot be changed. Instead of dressing it up this time, expose it. Expose it before the lie gets exposed for you. Because no matter what we tell ourselves, it doesn't change the truth of the situation. And I pray, God, I don't want to walk out my life in a lie. I don't want to walk out my life pleasing others, trying to look good for others, trying to, to, to do the Christian thing, trying to put on a facade for every day. When in, inside I'm dying and I'm racked with sin and I am racked with just condemnation about my life, I would rather expose who I am, the truth of I am. You can take it or leave it because when you understand the love of Jesus, that he takes it every time. That he loves you every time when you come to him and you confess and you repent before him. There is no, you did what? <laughs> Proverbs says that he cares over your soul from the beginning. He's not, he's not blown away by what you've done. He's not blown away by what you're about to tell him. He doesn't overreact. So go to him. Break that lie. See where words have failed you, where deceit has failed you, where it, was, it has left you restless and anxious and depressed inside. And expose the things of your heart that the joy of God and the peace of God and the patience and self-control and long-suffering of God will be able to come and fill your heart with the things that words have failed you with. The last way that we see words fail is this. In Proverbs 29, 19, it says, By mere words, a servant is not disciplined. For though he understands, he will not respond. Words alone cannot compel a response. You know, this is, I think, an interesting topic now. And we're going to get more into this topic when we talk about parents and children, because I think it's very relevant to that conversation today. But as adults, there needs to be a conversation about this. You know, have you ever told someone a hundred times not to do something and they did it anyway? See, that's a perfect example of this, because guess what? Telling them 101 times isn't going to work. Your words are not working. And this is, a, this is a funny conversation because I have this conversation every so often with an adult. And I'll tell them, you getting fired was the best thing that ever happened to you. And she's like, what do you mean? The devil's trying to rob my blessing. 
<laughs> and it's like, no, you were late to work every day. And your, your boss told you, stop being late. You, you, you read the manual that says that lateness is not tolerated. So guess what? If your boss tells you every day, don't be late, and you keep showing up late and nothing happens, it, it means nothing to you. And so this is where words only go so far. And sometimes the best thing that's happened to people is you get fired for being late. Why? Because then you realize, oh, there's consequences to my actions. Sometimes discipline is the best way to love somebody because words can only go so far. Maybe at the end of a discipline, you might say, huh, maybe I shouldn't be late anymore. Right? You only can learn that lesson if somebody goes beyond the words and begins to take action. See, what I love about God is God disciplines us to grow us in righteousness. In Hebrews 12, verse 11, it says this, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know that God trains us into righteousness through disciplining. And nobody likes to be disciplined. All right, you all have been kids. I'm assuming we got no Benjamin Buttons in the room. <laughs> you've, you've grown up. You remember what that's like as a child to experience that. But when God does it, he does it in a way to love us, to train us to righteousness. You know, sometimes we, we may have a friend in here, maybe somebody that's been close to us, that's been wallowing in their sin for a while, and you've spoken to them about it a few times, but now it's time to do something about it. In, in church, it's funny, I, I feel like there's this thing where like, I don't want to be a rat, you know? It's, it's like we've been trained by the hood that if, if one of our friends is in sin, then what we need to do is help them cover it up. But sometimes the best thing that we can do for somebody is confront them in what they do. And tell them exactly what scripture tells them. Hey, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm hitting you up about this and we're going to talk about it. But if I see you keep doing this, then I'm going to get somebody and bring them into the next discussion. Because I love you. And I care about you. And I see what is happening in your life as you are digging the pit. You are covering the sin. You are giving in to the lie. I want to help you here. What happens is many times we hide when it comes point to do this in our friendships. Because we're scared that somebody would be angry with us, you know, or scared that we may hurt a feeling. Which can be legitimate fears, but if we are more worried about how people feel about us than we are about their condition with God... 
then we've become selfish. We've walked away from being a loving friend, a loving parent, a loving coworker, and we've entered into the realm of complicit friendship, parenting, coworking. See, what God wants us to do is He wants us to move beyond words. To take us from just a confession or a saying into action. Because when we stay in the realm of words, what happens is we eventually end up in the lie. And man, we've all become experts. We've all become artists at lying to ourselves, at making excuses for ourselves. And we've created these cycles in our life that cause condemnation and eventually alienate us from God and from each other. And so today I want to ask you, will you move beyond words into action? Maybe you have been known to talk a good game. Maybe not to everybody else, but to yourself. You know the rap that you're rapping to yourself. The the words that you're using. Examine your heart today, the things that you're hiding. Maybe you're hiding them from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe you're trying to hide them from the Lord fruitlessly. But examine your heart. What are the things that I I have not wanted to go past talk? With What are the things that I have not moved into action? And I want to encourage you, expose them. Because in the exposition, what you will find is not hatred. What you will find is not condemnation. What you will find is not weird looks. What you will find is forgiveness and healing. And hopefully a partner in prayer. If your words and your actions have not lined up with each other, repent. Enter into true confession. One that bears fruit in your life with good deeds, with patience, with self-control, with long-suffering, with love, with joy, with peace. This is the fruit of the gospel. This is the fruit of repentance and confession and healing. You know how many times I have skipped the repent and confess part and I've moved right to the fruit part and I said, God, where is my self-control? God, where is my joy? God, where is my peace? You promised me these things. Why don't I have them today? And God would say, where is your confession? Where is your repentance? You know the right prayers to pray so that you feel good, so you can blame it on God or you can blame it on others. But God is saying, move beyond words, move into actions today. Because then we will see true healing in our heart and the true fruit of the gospel. The good fruit of the Holy Spirit. Can you all stand and pray with me?